there's something about PDGF receptor beta that is allowing for cancer cells to go to the brain more readily and grow in the brain. And that's an int really interesting biological question because if we can figure out why, we can target that and block that from happening or reduce it once it happens. This is the James Cancer-Free World Podcast. I'm Steve Wartenberg, and my guest is Gina Sizemore. Gina is a PhD, and she specializes in identifying the causes and drivers of breast cancer at a molecular level, how cells, normal cells, and cancer cells live, communicate, and travel, and grow in the body. Gina is an assistant professor in the Department of Radiation Oncology, she is the first recipient of the Block Lectureship Junior Faculty Award, and she is a member of the Cancer Biology Program here at the James. Welcome, Gina. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So I'm always curious when I talk to someone new who I haven't met before. It's nice to meet you. Well, um, nice to meet you as well. Yeah, your background of how you got interested in science and medicine and, and specifically oncology. Yeah, so when I was younger, I always liked biology, but I was always flip-flopping whether I wanted to be a veterinarian or a medical doctor. Um, and then when I was in college, I went to a really small liberal arts school in southwestern Pennsylvania called Washington and Jefferson College. Um, I really intense biology program, and I was very pre-med driven. Um, but the summer between my junior and senior year, I got a really unique opportunity um, I worked with a very famous breast cancer researcher named Dennis Slayman, and he just so happened to also be an alum of Washington and Jefferson College. And so he came back because the college offered him, they gave him an award, an alumni award. And so he happened to be there. Um, and so I met him and I, he's from UCLA still at UCLA. And so I, again, Washington, Pennsylvania, teeny tiny town, Southwestern Pennsylvania. I'd never even been on a plane before. And he offered me a summer position at UCLA. So of course I was like, yes, please. I will come do that. <laughs> so I, I went and I worked for him and he is just a massive, very famous individual in breast cancer research um, and the lab at the time was doing really phenomenal work, um, looking at different things that you could target to treat breast cancer patients. And in particular, he worked on something called HER2. And his group, in addition to working with Genentech, which is one of these big pharmaceutical companies, worked together to, to get Herceptin, which is this drug um, that targets HER2, approved for first line therapy in women with breast cancer. So this is like huge, okay? And I happened to be in the lab kind of at the time that this was all happening. And it was obviously an amazing experience for me. And I was like, okay, well, maybe I don't wanna be a medical doctor. Maybe I could work in research and identify targets that we could potentially treat to eat whatever, whatever. It, it, I, at the time, I was just like, I want to do something where I can find something that could potentially help women with breast cancer. And so at that moment, I decided I wanted to do a PhD and I wanted to stick, stick that route. And so I hadn't even thought of this until like the summer between my junior and senior year. 
And so Dennis was really nice. And he's like, well, why don't you come back and work for me um, as a post-bac? And so after I graduated with my undergrad degree, I went back to UCLA and I lived there for a couple of years working for him, um, living the life in LA. It was a really great time. Um, but I got to learn a lot about translational breast cancer research and how we really can take things we do in the lab to the clinic. And cause that's what he did best. He would take things that we would do in, in the lab and move it into clinical trial. Um, and so I was in the lab when Herceptin was approved as first line. It was a crazy exciting time. Um, and so then I went to Case Western Reserve University to do a PhD in pharmacology to try to do the same thing. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's how I got started. And so it was all just very fortuitous, um, just right place, right time. Got really lucky, honestly. Being in a lab like that and witnessing that happen was um, just, it, it just opened my eyes to be able to do something that I felt could be impactful worldwide, right? Like if you identify something that is different and causes cancer and you can figure out how to target that, you're not just going to affect people in Columbus, like you would affect people worldwide. And so it's just been my, you know, my goal um, to, to find something that we don't know, um, and in the microenvironment, which we can talk about that could potentially be targeted. Yeah. That concept of finding new targets mm -hmm. to go after, to allow the immune system to see and, and target and kill is I'm, I keep hearing that over and over for some scientists. And that's sort of one of the many key ways in the future that you and others are going to fight mm -hmm. cancer. Yes. So, that's our goal. So from working at UCLA, uh, I I'm not sure if this is what brought you to Ohio State or if it what kept you here, but you got a Pelotonia fellowship at some point. Was that? Yeah, a I can tell you. Yeah, I can tell you that the, the transition to Ohio State. So I did my PhD at Case Western in uh, Ruth Carey's lab in pharmacology. Um, I stayed working on breast cancer because I was again super excited about breast cancer, really wanted to learn more about it and how I could, you know, hopefully make a difference uh, for breast cancer patients in the future. Um, while I was in her lab, I, I studied more basics of how the breast develops, um, you know, the different lineages in the breast, trying to understand just how it even is normally, because you really have to understand an organ and how it functions in, in a normal way to understand how it gets all screwed up in cancer. And so I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, and then when I went to do my postdoc, um, you know, you, you start to do those like introspective conversations, like, well, what I, what do I really want to do? What do I want to bring to the table? And breast cancer is very unique in that women die of metastatic disease, not of primary breast cancer. So you get a primary breast tumor and if they get it early, cut it out. And like 99% of the time you're good, but if it metastasizes and goes to other organs, so lung, liver, bone, brain, then not so much. Um, you know, women then don't do as well. Um, and so I wanted to understand how we could target that, how we could, we could either stop metastases from happening, how once we had metastases, we could treat them. In order to do that, you really have to understand not just the cancer cell, but the cells around it, which are this, this microenvironment. 
And I hadn't learned about that at all. <laughs> so um, I needed to learn about that because the microenvironment is very complicated. Um, you've got you know, blood vessels, fat, um, a, a bunch of cell types, the immune system. And so you've got to learn all of that. And I hadn't learned any of that. And so at the time, um, I was very interested in, in uh, the work done by uh, Dr. Mike Ostrowski. I had met him, you know, a couple times. My mentor, uh, my, my dissertation mentor knew him. Um, and so I was able to convince him to let me come and work for him uh, at Ohio State. And also at the time, this was 2012-ish, um, it was the recession, NIH was under sequester, um, and there were very few opportunities at the time for postdocs, actually. But Ohio State was different because they had their own money. So Pelotonia was there. And so Mike was like, hey, you know, write a Pelotonia fellowship and, and you know, basically your, your stipend would be covered and you can come on and work for me. And so I said, all right. And I didn't, had never heard of Pelotonia, right? I mean, I was up in Cleveland. Um, and so I actually wrote a Pelotonia fellowship even before I stepped foot on campus. Um, and I submitted it. Uh, based on some preliminary data that Mike had had from his group, um, and I got funded. So I started working for him uh, January like 2nd of like 2013. My Pelotonio Fellowship started, I want to say like end of February. So I only worked for him for like a couple years with, <laughs> with him, or a couple months, sorry, um, where he actually paid me to work for him. And then I was funded by Pelotonia. And the beauty of that as a postdoc is that your boss isn't paying for you. And so when you come to work every day, you're taking up space in his lab and you're using some reagents, but it's not paying for you. So you don't necessarily have to do, not, not that you don't have to do what he says, but you have a little bit more freedom to do things that you're interested in because you're paying your own way. Well, and isn't, isn't that because in writing your Pel Pelotonia Fellowship grant, you outlined the research you wanted to do. So mm -hmm. then you then do get to do that. Mm -hmm. You get to do that. And so I wrote on a project that was completely new. He had a little bit of data that indicated that it might be interesting. Um, and so completely new to his group, nothing that he had worked on before. Uh, and so then I started working on that. And uh, it's a protein called platelet-derived growth factor receptor beta. And we thought it might be really interesting in promoting breast cancer progression, again, through the microenvironment, because this particular factor is in, not in the tumor cell, but in the cells around it. Um, and so I wrote this, I was able to get some more preliminary data, um, which allowed me to apply for an extramural fellowship through the Department of Defense Breast Cancer Research Program, which is a lot more money. So I had, you know, Pelotonia gave me that freedom to work on the project. I submitted an application to an extramural foundation. Well, not foundation, they're a, a federal, uh, a, I don't even know what program, I guess the federal program you call it. Um, and so I submitted to that and I got that funded. And so I actually was able to put my Pelotonia on deferral. So I did Pelotonia for a year. And then I went on my DOD fellowship, which was three years. And that fellowship, gave me money, um, not just for my stipend and my, my salary, but for actually doing the research. 
Uh, and so again, Mike's like, all right, just keep doing what you're doing. <laughs> now, at the same time, I actually worked on stuff for him too, which was smart because I was able to do kind of both projects, which was in the end really very helpful for me. Um, but what was really nice about all of this is again, more preliminary data for me, not so much for Mike. And then towards where I was getting towards the end of my postdoc phase, um, I was able to start writing my own big grants. Oh, and so okay. transitioning right from a, being a postdoc to faculty is next to impossible. You have to have your own money. You know, applying for a faculty position at the James, you've got to come with something. You've got to come with some evidence that you can write grants and get additional money else from elsewhere. And so again, I was able to do that. So I wrote this other grant through the NIH um, and I got a really good score on it. Um, but at the time, like, it's all very complicated. Like you get a good score, but they don't actually give you the grant until you have a faculty position. So Palatania was still there. So my, I went back on my fellowship because remember I deferred it for a year. You had an, a year left. I had a year left. And so when my three years of my DOD grant was up, I went back on my, my Palatania fellowship. And this was, I don't even know how to, how to tell you what a game changer this was for me. Mike left the university. So he went to the Medical University of, of South Carolina. I had Pelotonia, so I could keep going. Um, I ended up working, um, I had like a mentor. So Matt Ringel, um, he's uh, obviously still here at Ohio State. He was kind enough to take me in as like someone, he, he kind of babysat me. I always give him my joke and say he babysat me when Mike left. Um, but I had this additional year in Pelotonia that basically gave me a, more freedom to keep working on the project. Um, had I not had that, I don't know what would have happened. I would have had to probably work for somebody else doing what they wanted me to do, not what I wanted to do. And that is just, it was just a gift because I could just keep going. Um, and so I was able to get that grant that I applied for at the NIH. Um, Ohio State offered me a job, so I was able to stay um, and there was no breaks. So I just kept going. And, um, and since then, you know, we've published some great papers on the work and I'm still working on it. Say again, the target that you initially found in the micro um, environment, and it wasn't a breast cancer cell, it was something in the micro mm -hmm. environment. That's right? right. Yes. So we found a gene called platelet derived growth factor receptor beta or PDGFR. B. And P I identified P that. Go ahead. PDGFRB. Yep. Okay. And I identified that in the microenvironment and it was really high. Remember how I was telling you with HER2, HER2 was high, like it gets high in breast cancer. Um, and that's in the tumor cell itself. PDGF receptor beta, I found is actually really high in the surrounding cells of breast cancer, if you compare it to like a normal breast, higher. And so we went to try to figure out why and if that particular thing being high matters. Okay, and I'm, I'm tempted to ask you if it does, but I have a feeling this is a continued line of your research. Maybe we'll- It we absolutely should, does. We should get to it in the, pro <laughs> in the proper order because this, um, I, I, had, I wrote this down, PDGFRB is gonna be, a thread in your research. So let's let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll talk more about 
PDGFRB. In today's world, misinformation abounds, but at the Ohio State Health and Discovery website, we're addressing today's most relevant health, wellness, science, and research topics, all from the Ohio State experts you can trust. We're tapping into physicians, scientists, and thought leaders across our medical center and health sciences colleges to give you the deeper story behind the headlines and the truth about the topics affecting the health of individuals, society, and the world. Visit health.osu.edu today. We're back with Gina Sizemore, a PhD in the cancer biology program here at the James. And as we were discussing, you have a very specific target that you and your lab are now working to identify and figure out how it contributes to cancer, the PDGFRB. So keep going, fill us in on you initially identified this, that there was more of this than there should be. It can't be a coincidence. Mm -hmm. So what did you find? Yeah. So, so basically when we found that it was higher in breast cancer, we needed to model that. And so in the lab, we're able to model that by, by making it really hyperactive in the models that we study. And what we have found is that if you have high levels of this, you actually get brain metastases more than other types of metastases. And so why that's really important is in women, I mentioned earlier that women with breast cancer tend to get um, lung, liver, bone, and brain metastases. Unfortunately, with brain metastases, it's a very poor prognosis. Um, and so women, uh, unfortunately, the median over, overall survival, once that's happened, is like less than a year, so like 10 to 11 months. And so there's something about PDGF receptor beta that is allowing for cancer cells to go to the brain more readily and grow in the brain. And that's an int really interesting biological question because if we can figure out why we can target that and block that from happening or reduce it once it happens. So some, something in the signal pathways in those cells are like giving it a roadmap to the brain. Yep, exactly. And what we also know is that, so this is PDGF receptor beta is on the cells in the microenvironment. So kind of, you know, outside the tumor cell itself, but the tumor cell also communicates with that microenvironment. And what happens is the tumor cell expresses PDGF B, which is the growth factor that binds to the receptor. So you have two players. We have something within the cancer cell where the cancer cell is now talking to the microenvironment. And what we found is that that, that growth factor, that PDGF B, within the cancer cell also has to be there. So the cancer, certain breast cancers have more of that. And so this was later that we figured this out. So certain breast cancers have more of that. And so what happens is, is the tumor in the breast has more of this particular thing. It's expressing it. The cells get out, they travel all over the body, they land in the brain. And what we know is that most of the cells that would land in the brain are just obliterated. Like the brain has an amazing capacity to just eat that up and make it go away. But if that cancer cell happens to have this PDGF B, 
it can then interact with those other cells within the brain. And then it's like telling that brain cell, oh, I'm good. You know, you don't need to kill me. I'm going to stay here and I'm going to make this place a really happy home for me. And that's what happens. And so this cancer cell will get in there, expresses this PDGFB, activates this PDGF receptor beta in the brain microenvironment, and it makes this nice, happy home for the cell, which is like no good. We don't want and, that. Right? And then the cancer prolif- proliferates in the brain. Yeah, exactly. And then it's allowed to then grow. Um, the, the brain microenvironment just doesn't do as good of a job at squashing that out. And so that's, that's where we're at right now. And we're, we're studying a bunch of different things within the brain that are allowing this to happen. So one of the big players that I have evidence for at the moment is that the immune microenvironment of the brain is screwed up. And so by having this PDGFB get in the brain and it's, it's basically just making it and not an immune happy place. And so normally like your, the immune cells of the brain can squash this out, but it doesn't. And so that's, yeah, <laughs> go ahead. So the concept might be the same as back in UCLA with the, uh, HER2 and Herceptin. You've identified mm-hmm. the problem and that's one of the first steps in yeah. curing and treating it. And, but I want to make sure I understand the timeline yep. correctly on how, not the timeline of cancer metastasizing. So in women who are uh, diagnosed in the early stages, they have surgery, it hasn't mm-hmm. metastasized this, even though they may have this PDGFRB, you will have, it's eliminated in the surgery and it won't be a problem to metastasize or it could still happen even though. It could though- still happen. Yeah, it could still happen. But yeah, any cell that got out um, at any point before the tumor goes away, either by chemotherapy, you know, that shrinks it away or by surgery, which takes it out. Um, those cells get out, get all over the place. And sometimes what happens is women won't have metastases for 10, 15 years down the line. And then all of a sudden the cells figure it out, they wake up um, and they're still there. And so that's what we want to prevent. And so what we can do, and we have, we have data for this is we can look at the tumor, like at the, when they take it out at the time of surgery, and we can look at that PDGFB in those tumor cells. And then we can say, this woman is more likely to have brain metastases later. And so then we can start picking, cause it's a small population that would be, you know, of that category. So we can start saying that one should be monitored differently or that one, you know, basically we would know and we'd be able to predict that. And so I'm still at early stages of figuring out how we could translate this to the clinic. And there's some different things that we're trying to do. Um, we're trying to look at liquid biopsies for PDGFB, um, which would be just blood draws where we could look to see, well, you know, are, is there more PDGFB in the blood? I don't know that that's going to work yet, but that's an avenue that I would like to go because then we would be able to monitor somebody easily through just doing liquid biopsies. So, so these liquid biopsies would be in women who you think have a higher mm-hmm. yes. tendency and you can do them every year. You just do a mm-hmm. blood draw. We would just and look. You instead of yeah. a regular, more invasive mm-hmm. biopsy. So Precisely. I think I now understand. So women who are first diagnosed in the latter stages, it could have already traveled to the brain, but even women who are diagnosed in the early stages have a lumpectomy or a mastectomy, and mm-hmm. they think they got everything. These Some of these cells could escape and years later, create a problem in the brain. You're now able to better identify who's at risk for this, monitor it. Yeah, that's the goal. 
Um, and so I haven't, you know, we don't have this in clinical trial yet. Um, I have a, another DOD grant actually that I'm working on now, which is allowing me to look at a big cohort of human samples to see if this is true. And so we're going to get these liquid, you know, liquid biopsies basically from a bunch of different patients and be able to see if this will work. And so that's where a lot of my research is at the moment. Um, and yeah, and, and that would be game changing because we, at this moment, like we just don't know who is going to get a brain met. Like we have no idea. And oftentimes, you know, we find out too late because then they have a brain met when they come in. So in this clinical trial, would you be looking at women who have that brain tumor, seeing if the PDGFRB is there, so then sort of proving your hypothesis? Yeah, so fortunately, I don't even have to do a clinical trial. So we have a number of resources in place at the James where um, they're already taking samples. So they're already taking, um, as part of other trials, they're taking you know blood, they're taking tumor tissue. And so I just, I get to, to sort of tag on onto those um, and I get to get samples and then I do exactly what you said though. I say, okay, you know, which patient has a brain mat? What does their PGFB level look like in the blood? Um, I can, you know, we have enough data through these big cohorts of patients um, to know, you know, how long it took between when they were diagnosed and whether they had a brain mat. We can, yeah, so it's nice. Um, the James already has a lot of those resources in place. Is that that Orion system that has it's a yeah, database of thousands, ten yeah. hundreds of thousands of yeah. Okay. So so that's one of them. Um, we also the Spielman has a Columbus Tissue Bank, a breast bank, and so they've been banking samples for a long time as well. And I've actually started already looking at those because that was a little bit more low hanging fruit because we already have that in place. Um, and yeah, the TCC Orion is is a, the big next step because that they have a lot of samples. Okay, so if everything works out and you're correct and that this is a, a legitimate problem is this going to be the next step is creating your version of herceptin that can treat this in the brain oh gosh yeah and so we um my lab is working on that as well there are already small molecule inhibitors that target pdgf receptors and so what my lab has been doing is testing those inhibitors to see if they can reduce brain metastatic burden, um, prevent brain metastatic burden. Um, and so we're sort of, again, like kind of hijacking off of stuff that people have already done because a lot of these, these, these drugs are already available. Um, and some of them are already in you know, phase two, phase three clinical trials. And so, yes. So step one would be is if we can figure out which women would respond, um, that would be, that would just be huge in terms of being able to predict you know, who is going to get brain meds and be able to look at them closely. Do I think I could use this drug as a prophylactic, like where we could treat before they get the brain met? Probably not because it's, you know, you don't want to just give someone something because they might have it happen. Um, it would be more something that they'd have to have something in their brain and we would try to then treat it. The goal, though, would be to not let women come in with like huge brain metastases, right? Like hopefully we could catch it early enough that therapy would help. Um, but I'm a long way from that. So the I am a PhD, you know, I'm not I can't I can't run clinical trials on my own. But the more evidence that I get, the more I could, you know, convince my my medical oncology uh, colleagues to help me do that and, and, and move it into a clinical trial. Well, that's that whole concept of collaboration. Where oh, yeah. you'll, you'll connect with 
physicians who mm-hmm. treat breast cancer patients yeah. and create a clinical trial and you'll have this big cohort of patients to, yeah. to hopefully that's help. the end goal for sure and we have a wonderful team of medical oncologists here at ohio state and i and i they know they know about what i do so i have to finish my you know my preclinical work and then uh, convince them that it's the right thing to do but that that's the goal well let's circle back to where you started here at ohio state in pelotonia so if you came here in 2013 you've been mm-hmm. around pelotonia for eight or nine years this might even be your 10th one. Have you continued to be involved in Peloton? I'm involved. Yes. I, um, so I, I have to say I have not ridden every year. I have ridden multiple years. Um, I had a couple babies along the way. <laughs> so It's so important. And I, so not only have I had my, my fellowship that obviously we talked about and it allowed me to continue on, I've received two idea awards. Um, uh, since becoming faculty, um, one of which was to continue the work on the PDGFB, PDGF receptor beta stuff that we just talked about. Um, another was in uh, collaboration with uh, Dr. Jonathan Song in biomedical engineering and also working on brain metastasis. And so um, I've been very, very lucky. I've had two undergrads funded uh, to work uh, on different projects in the lab. Um, and so it's just, yeah, super important. Um, both, you know, my husband and I participate as much as we can. And um, yeah, I can't, I don't have enough just good things to say about Palatania. I came to Ohio State because they had Palatania, honestly. Like they had money. Um, I was able to come here. I was able to do what I wanted to do. I was able to stay because Palatania continued to fund me. Um, and as I've said, you know, I've continued to get funding um, even as faculty to keep doing, you know, the high risk, high reward stuff that I want to do. Well, thank you. Thanks for sharing your story. No, no problem. I appreciate it. This podcast is brought to you by the Ohio State University Comprehensive Cancer Center, Arthur G. James Cancer Hospital, and Richard J. Solov Research Institute. For more information, check out our website, cancer.osu.edu.